Hello and welcome to May I Have This Dance, a podcast from the Human Awareness Institute or Hi Among Friends. We're here because we love having real, rich, juicy conversations with people. We strip down with the people we interview, figuratively and only sometimes literally, to the undercurrent of what it means to be human through the lens of love, intimacy, and sexuality. As an organization, Hi is a place to explore and embrace our humanness. Obviously, a podcast can't replace our workshops, but we do hope that in these interviews, you're able to catch a glimpse of who we are and what we do. Shall I get started with the interview? Let's do it. Welcome to episode three, where I interview my co-host here at May I Have This Dance, Kate Gillespie. I've loved Kate almost from the moment we met. She's an extraordinary human who lives high's values deeply. She sees people in a way that's truly rare and is able to communicate clearly and with compassion in everything she does. I can't wait for you to hear this interview. Thank you so much for joining me, Kate. Uh, it is lovely to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Haya. Wonderful to be with you. Before we get started, um, would you mind explaining, um, or would you mind telling me what your pronouns uh, are that you prefer and uh, whereabouts are you uh, based at the moment? Sure. My pronouns are she and her, and I live in Denver, Colorado. Awesome. Mm -hmm. So good. So you are the co you are my co-host on this podcast, uh, which makes this a uh, pretty funny interview. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm excited to learn a little bit more about you in the process uh, of this. And I'm sure in a later episode at some point, we'll do an interview of me as well. Um, but it, it's a fun thing to be able to tell our readers a little bit about who we are and what, uh, what drives us. I agree. I, I am enjoying our continued collaboration and friendship building. And I think it'll be nice to continue to get to know each other on the air. Awesome. Yeah. So um, this is a podcast which is um, kind of trying to dig into the things that really matter in life. And um, I want to start with a really difficult question, which is what really matters to you? Mm, so many things. <laughs> um, I, 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 I love life. I just, I have so much fun in my life and I just really, really enjoy being alive. So, you know, there's all kinds of things ranging from, I really love working in my garden and bringing life to plants and then how delicious they taste when I make good food with them. My partner and I, Luke and I cook pretty much every night and we play with all kinds of different flavors and we try and make food from different places around the world. And, uh, so food is just a really central part of our life and we share it with friends and it's a community hub for us. You know, it brings us together with each other and, um, to nourish our bodies, but then also in community. And, uh, which brings me to another passion of mine in life, which is people. And I, I truly, relish spending time with people. I really enjoy talking with people and getting to know them deeper. Sometimes I have to kind of check myself and recognize that some of the questions that I might want to know about someone, uh, you know, in more, in normal, normal circles, take a little more time to get to know. And, um, I often have friends say, you know, wow, I've never been asked that two dates in, you know, or two friend dates in. And so, um, I, I like to get to the rich, good stuff right away. I think it's a beautiful thing to be able to say that you love life because I feel like there's a lot of, you know, a lot of people who don't, um, was there ever a time where you didn't and how, how did that shift? Mm, um, you know, I think fundamentally overall, 
no, I don't think there ever was a major time in my life when I didn't enjoy being alive. I certainly have had pain and loss and trauma to overcome. Uh, I, you know, when I was a young girl, suffered some sexual abuse for a long time from five to nine. Um, I had some trauma and some loss in college. There's definitely been periods of time in my life where I've been hurt and needed to come inward and needed to ask for support and have been lucky enough to really get very, very good support. Uh, and in those times, you know, I definitely felt like, wow, it's just, this doesn't feel like me, you know, depression or fear or sadness doesn't feel like me. And it feels foreign to feel those emotions strongly over, you know, multiple days in a row. But even in those times when I really had to dig in and go deep into my emotional world and heal, uh, I think I've always just had a general love for life and and gratitude that I'm alive and gratitude for the fact that those more difficult moments or life experiences have added a lot of depth to my life. So uh, I think I just got lucky with with my disposition and and the people around me have you know pretty consistently been uplifting, meaningful relationships. And uh, I've been lucky to have really good people in my life, my whole life. And so I think that definitely contributes to my general enjoyment of life. But um, yeah, I just feel lucky to be alive. It feels like a really powerful thing to be able to recognize that when you are feeling down, that you don't feel like yourself, that you somehow have managed mm -hmm. to separate the, the you that doesn't feel like you from the you that does feel like you. Yeah. Um, do you remember how you, how you got to that point? Well, you know, it, 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 in some ways was a learning curve in of itself to recognize that, uh, I had an identity that was wrapped up in being this kind of happy go lucky, bubbly, loving life person. And it was challenging for me when I went through periods of time, extended periods of time, where I didn't feel like that. And it did feel foreign. And I think that part of the grief I felt, not just the grief from the trauma or whatever I was going through, but the grief of not really recognizing myself, I kind of had to reinvent my definition of what it meant to be myself and, and allow more room for the times and, and the side of myself that isn't that bubbly, happy, you know, aspect of myself. And so really it was a growing edge to recognize that I can still be myself and not be happy all the time. Uh, and I value, I value that in myself. I value being happy and grounded and, and feeling good. And so I've definitely worked hard to continue to maintain relationships and an environment and a mental health that will allow me to have that quality of life. To you, what does working on your mental health or working on your relationships look like? Like, what, what do you actually do? Mm -hmm. Well, I've done a lot of different things. I, you know, I mentioned that I had uh, trauma as a young child, and I was fortunate enough to have been born into a family to, with two parents who were both psychologists. And uh, when they found out I had been abused, were just really very skilled in stepping in and intervening and putting me into therapy. So I got really lucky in the sense that I was put into an environment right away where I could really heal. And that therapeutic environment as a nine-year-old, you know, I was in therapy from nine to 14 or so uh, the first time around. And uh, it really grew my ability to introspect and to regulate my emotions and be with pain and not make up stories about what that meant. And so I learned skills 
through a therapeutic environment. Uh, I also have really turned to physical activity as a way of regulating my thoughts and emotions and, and getting into my body. A really common, uh, unfortunate side effect of child abuse, especially sexual child abuse, is that you can disassociate from your body and kind of leave your body. And uh, my mom, I don't know if she knew this intellectually or just instinctually, but pretty early on in my life, she sensed that I needed to kind of learn how to get into my body. And so she enrolled me in ballet and I just loved it. And um, ever since I've been about five years old, anytime I dance, I just let go of uh, my intellectual side and I kind of just allow myself to be. And it's very meditative for me. And I uh, get down into my body and I can feel the wisdom of my body much more clearly and so I really take a lot of pleasure in moving my body. Uh, I hike a lot now and, and run. And um, so that's, you know, and then of course there's all kinds of science that uh, backs up the reality that if you're moving and you're getting those endorphins going and you're releasing oxytocin through exercise, that definitely helps regulate your moods as well. So for me, therapy and movement and and then connection with others, you know, being real about who I am and, and where I've been and allowing others to come into that vulnerable space with me and support me in that and see me in that. And then also it's been a real gift for me, especially in these most recent years to step into a supportive role for others who have been through trauma or need support. And and my ability to be compassionate to that has in some ways propelled me even further along my own journey towards healing and empowerment. That sounds really powerful. Mm. I, I I wonder, and please do tell me to fuck off if this is too personal <laughs> of a question. Sure, I, uh, <laughs> at, at which point do you, obviously childhood sexual abuse is incredibly, um, runs really, really deep, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And um, thank you for sharing that story with me because I feel like it, it is a very difficult thing to talk about for many people. But obviously you're now grown up and you've... Um, uh, found your sexual self mm-hmm. and I'm wondering how did you how did that journey happen because it feels like that that sounds like it would have been incredibly difficult and scary um or mm-hmm. I, I can imagine it would have been I love you Haya what a great question and I just I'm already so excited for this podcast because this is like yes I want us to just go right into the heart of things so um beautiful question so what i'm hearing is you know after that kind of uh very early on trauma how did i then navigate coming into a healthy adult sexual identity is that right yeah exactly yeah so um i got lucky really again with my relationship with my mom i think she has just been one of the biggest role models for me and she's just been such an incredible mom I think if she'd done anything well in her life it was mothering and um when I was about I don't know 15 or 16 maybe even a little younger like 14 15 my mom came to me and she said you know at some point you're going to want to explore sexuality and you're going to want to connect with a partner and uh it's beautiful and wonderful and I'm excited for you that that's going to happen for you and I totally trust that you will know when you're ready. And I want to be your ally when you're ready. So, um, you know, just so you know, when you are ready, you can come and talk to me and we'll get on birth control. And she even offered, uh, 
to let me have my room uh, if I wanted to have sex for the first time in my own childhood room. If I wanted that space, she would leave and give me that space. And so she set this tone for me really early on. She set this, she planted this seed for me that I was in control of when I was going to choose my sexual partner and that I, she trusted me and that meant that I could trust myself and she really gave me the reins. And so I held it as, wow, I want to make this something special. I really want to be conscious about this. I really want to think about it before I jump into it. So I think that I entered my kind of chosen sexuality much more consciously than it seemed a lot of my peers were doing. And, and I waited until I was really sure that I was ready. So I actually didn't end up having sex with a a chosen partner until college. I was about 19 and I just had such a really good, positive first experience. I, I connected with my first boyfriend who I dated all throughout college, all four years. And, you know, that relationship had its own challenges, but the sex was, incredibly intimate and very sweet. And he knew about my history before we ever engaged and he waited till I was ready. And I had this very dreamy kind of first experience of going to a hotel with him and setting candles everywhere. And, um, you know, I really took care of myself. And so my partner took care of me in response to that. And I had a really positive first sexual experience. Um, and that set the, that set the tone for a lot of my early sexual experiences, I think I felt pretty free. I didn't have a lot of shame associated with my sexuality. I, I felt very free to explore and try new things. And, um, I think that tone is still very present in my current relationship. Um, but there also, of course, are layers. I mean, there have been times where it's been very painful, um, to explore sex and to feel, old pain and old trauma kind of come up, which just, you know, if you've experienced trauma, it's like just a wave comes out of nowhere. It's just like this, some, anything and everything can just trigger it at some point. And it's just this wave of emotion and you just got to learn to kind of ride it and be okay with the fact that it's coming up. And, um, you know, I've ha- had to learn how to not make up stories about what that means. You know, um, I tell a story sometimes, where I remember feeling in my mid twenties, like, man, am I ever going to be over this? Am I ever going to just be completely healed? And I'm, I'm always going to be a little bit broken. And I think I said those words to my therapist, like, am I always going to be a little bit broken? And she said, you know, maybe you could hold yourself as handle with care rather than fragile, you know, just handle with care. And, uh, so I'm learning and there's still moments in my love life where I have to be gentle with myself and handle myself with care. But overall, I've had a pretty lovely, regular sexual life (laughs) as an adult. That is beautiful. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. That's, uh, that sounds like one hell of a journey. You mentioned something uh, pretty interesting earlier in in um, in that answer, which was around uh, sexual intimacy. Mm-hmm. And I want to dig a little bit into how uh, non-sexual intimacy surfaces in your life. Mm. Yeah. So I've got a lot of good non-sexual intimacy in my life. You know, uh, I work for High, and part of why I was drawn to that community is because even though we do explore sexuality and the different components of that and how it contributes to humanity, I think really what makes it special is the non-sexual intimacy. There's this palpable love that's just 
radiates throughout the room. And what people very quickly pick up on is uh, how good it feels to let our guards down with people we don't know that well, even, and be in love with one another. And I, you know, I'm just one of those people that really enjoys giving my love really freely. I, I, of course, understand kind of the normal social cues and and needs around that. But my ideal world would be one where we can just all walk around and just give our love as freely as, you know, giving a smile. And um, I find intimacy with people to be really just juicy and um, I live for it. So I you know, my early attachment in my family, there was a lot of intimacy. There was a lot of affection. There was a lot of vulnerability and open communication. Uh, so I think that that's been something that's really driven who I am. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I had a really interesting conversation with a friend not that long ago, actually, where um, the way I broached it to to him was that, hey, you know, I believe that people can love each other in ways that are not sexual and are not, you know, uh, relationship oriented. Yeah, With that background, I feel like I need to tell you that I love you. Mm. And it was a really interesting conversation because um, obviously that he's a very close friend, but it wasn't something that I think I've said to a friend before in that, you know, sincere, like full hand on heart, meaning what I'm saying way. And it felt like such an intimate moment just for that, for, for being able to kind of break that um, cultural norm almost. Yeah. But I mean, I, I meant it no less from saying what I was saying, you know, I, th- I thought that was a really powerful conversation to have had and to have it opened the door to. Yeah. And I, you know, I think that, you know, I try to stay away from stereotypes as much as I can, but I, I do think that this is one of the places that we're going to see a lot of growth. I hope in the next, you know, century is around male, male, uh, affection and and care from one another because there's been so much fear around that kind of intimacy and so many stories about uh, what it is to be a man. I mean, I'm sure you can speak to this better than I can, but uh, yeah, I think it's really brave of you because because you do love we do love the people in our lives. You know, we invest in them and and they see us and they know us deeply. And uh, why not share that you love them? You know, it doesn't have to be romantic or sexual in any means, even female to male, you know, the, or, you know, even if you are attracted to someone or there is a, a tendency towards attraction, um, you know, to explicitly say, I love you platonically is, is something really lovely. I wish we did it. More. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah for, absolutely. For sure. So with that, um, I would like to talk about that a little bit more. I mean, obviously you kind of have people who increase in intensity in your life and who kind of uh, fade away again. Um, and I know that you moved cities not that long ago. Um, how, how do you deal with that? I find that really, really difficult to kind of ramp up and ramp down friendships. Yeah. It's a great question. I, it's actually one I've been grappling with a lot because, uh, I really, really highly value long-term deep relationships. And, uh, I grew up in a really small family. I have an older brother, but Uh, He was out of the house a lot when I was growing up. And so it was mostly my mom and my dad and I, and that was just not nearly enough people for me to love on. And I uh, didn't have a lot of extended family. So from a very young age, I really craved 
community and uh, family. And uh, I, I tend to make friends my family. And I sometimes have this existential kind of crisis around, you know, uh, are you as committed to me as I am to you, you know? And um, I long for that deep kind of long-term knowledge of one another that I think we've lost. We don't have tribe in anymore the way we used to. So, uh, you know, and as I'm looking at building a family and having children, I, I often wonder, you know, who's going to be around to witness me in this stage of my life and my children as they grow up and, uh, you know, wanting that extended circle. So, you know, when you say, how do you kind of maintain these really deep, rich relationships as you move around? It's a good question. It's not one that I totally have the answer to yet, uh, except that I think that if you voice it and you're vulnerable with the people in your life, you know, I, we've got some friends here in Denver that I just love. And I recently said to them, you know, I, I want you in our lives. I, I'm committed to you. I want you to be around for our kids. And I don't know what life will bring us, you know, they may move on, they may move for a job or something like that. And who knows, but, um, I think voicing that desire and building community around ourselves is a, is a good step in the right direction. Yeah, for mm -hmm. sure. Uh, the, the expression, it takes a village to, to raise a child springs to mind. And if you don't have that village, um, it sounds to me like you're actually focusing on almost building a village, yeah. you know? of uh, surrounding yourself with the people that you want uh, to be part of your family and that, that you want to be part of that um, wider group of people who can help each other out. Uh, is that an active process for you or is that something that you just kind of let happen? It is an active process. I think more and more so. Uh, I have some incredible family that live in Santa Barbara and on the West Coast that have chosen family. We are not blood, but... Uh, you know, that we have chosen, we want to be family together. And that family has existed for about 10 years. And we do all of our holidays together. And we've watched Julia, who's my niece, uh, quote unquote niece, grow up. She's 10 now. So she was just born when we started this family. And um, it's been a, a huge lesson in conscious family building. And there's just not a lot of models out there for that. So I've had that experience, which I treasure and I long to be closer to them, but they all live in the Bay area and we've decided to build home out here in Denver. So just recently I've start, been talking with my partner about, okay, let's, let's start getting conscious about building a multi-generational community out here. Uh, and you know, my mom recently moved out here, so that's exciting. And I think she loves and wants community as well. So it's just going to be a process. You know, it takes time, it takes investment, it takes willingness. And I think the idea around community is something that a lot of people long for, but they're not quite sure what that really means. And they don't quite know how to step into something like that and make it a priority. Uh, and I kind of think modern life doesn't really support that very well. We're all kind of isolated uh, a lot of the time and we all have a lot of different competing needs and running around a lot. And uh, it's hard. It's hard to invest in, you know, multiple relationships. And it's common to have a lot of long-term, like long-distance relationships. My, my very best friend in the whole world lives in another state and we spend a lot of time talking on the phone, which is great, but it, you know, it's just another thing on the to-do list. So uh, I think it takes intentionality, but yeah, I, I would love to create it. What about you? Are you wanting and needing community? Do you have that going on for you in your world? 
So I was just thinking about that while you were while you were talking, actually. So uh, we live in a building that has 30 units in it. And I think I know people in maybe five of them reasonably well and w- maybe one or two that I would call mm. friends. Um, in parallel with that, we have kind of a recurring fantasy of, of buying like a plot of land and mm-hmm. building, I don't know, 15 little houses with a big communal kitchen area and create, create a creative space where we live and create together with friends either that live there permanently or that come traveling through and like literally five seconds ago it occurred to me that it's kind of funny how i feel pretty isolated from the neighbors who live in my Mm. building but i'm fantasizing of a world where essentially that would be this (laughs) except with a creative space and i'm i'm wondering why why there isn't like an accepted way of of building those kinds of communities in the places where you live because ultimately that would be so much easier if you had access to that you know <laughs> you walk out your door you walk into the neighbor's door and you 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 have a community I, I definitely i definitely have one neighbor where occasionally i go when i don't have any groceries <laughs> i go and knock on their i go and knock on their door and say hey can i raid your fridge and i'll make you dinner and oh. usually they go Okay, that's weird, but yeah, sure you can. And then twenty minutes later, they turn up at our house, and there's food. And I've, I'm like, I want to live in a world where that mm. is possible. I love that, Haya. I, I love that. And you're so right. I mean, I've fantasized about an, exactly the same fantasy: building a, you know, building a commune, basically, uh, of people who can live together and share land and share space. And that's literally what we have. I mean, we're, we're surrounded by people who want connection, and yet it's so hard to go next door and start that relationship. And it may, perhaps there's an assumption that the people that you happen to live by are not going to be the people that you love. And maybe that's true, but, um, I bet, you know, of the hundred people that live within a mile radius of me, there's, there's bound to be people that I would love to create community with. And I, I imagine the same for you. So that's just, you know, interesting how we can get over that social barrier. Yeah, for sure. In your, in your world of like, uh, I guess it's almost like a friend landscape, right? You have people that you're pretty close with. There are people that are kind of on the way in or on the way out. Um, how how do you choose or how do you feel out what level of intimacy you have with these mm. friends? So I went grocery shopping with my partner, Luke, over the weekend, and we were at the checkout line, and there was a woman who started speaking to us, And almost immediately, we could feel that something was a little off. You know, I think she probably had some kind of um, developmental disorder. And it was incredibly subtle. Uh, And we went through this whole conversation and we're smiling at her and she's, you know, talking with us and giving us advice about the products we've bought and very sweet interaction. But as we're walking out, you know, my partner and I look at each other and we can just see like, yeah, okay, that was a little strange. And And I said to Luke, isn't it interesting that there's something about the brain and our, and our ability to connect with people that's so finely tuned in that you and I can just sense right off the bat that something's off. And it's really not even what she was saying. Like if we had taken a script of what she said and handed it to someone without any of the, you know, subtle body movements and contextual cues, you might not think anything was wrong at all. Um, but you can sense it of people. And I, I really think that we have just incredibly dialed in instinctual measures for, the people that we interact with. And one of the aspects of that is 
coming to an understanding of how close in someone's going to let us. And we send it out too, you know, and there's this dance that happens of like, okay, where can we meet? What radio wave can we meet on? And how are we both going to behave in this interaction? And all of that is unspoken and instinctual and based off of culture and, and our assumptions and projections and, and it just flows. And I think that for me, I'm really fascinated by that. And I tend to kind of push on it a little bit and encourage people with as much warmth and compassion as I can, uh, so that they genuinely feel comfortable, but to kind of push that edge a little bit and play with those kind of assumed boundaries, because, uh, you know, I think that we often stand too far apart. You know, I just, I think that we could give each other so much more of what we're really wanting and needing. It's like oxygen. Why not share it? Uh, so I, I got excited about that. Now I can't even remember what your question was, but, um, oh, feeling it out. Well, I, think the, yeah. I think the interesting thing about, uh, going to a high workshop, for example, is that you're in, you're assuming intimacy from second mm -hmm. one, right? right? And uh, in a queue in a supermarket, right. <laughs> uh, maybe yeah. less so. But uh, there's a really interesting dichotomy there between the people you um, decide to have, you know, you, you uh, assume intimacy as your option A versus people where you, uh, where you okay, maybe eventually at some point. Uh, whereas realistically, there's no more filter for somebody coming to a workshop as somebody you meet in a supermarket. Right. So it's a really interesting uh, difference of context. And I mean, I guess you have to have a certain amount of bravery to come to a workshop, but nonetheless, there is a, there, there's no real filter. And, and it's an interesting difference between how the two, um, the assumptions you make about the people around yeah. you. And I, I say, yeah, you yeah, mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I know. And it's like, it's like Burning Man, right? Like so many people who have gone to Burning Man, just like what they come back with and what they rave about is that thousands of people are all in this context where people assume, uh, love, you know, they, they step into intimacy much more readily and, um, there's an acceptance and a, um, you know, agreed upon culture there. That's just like, Hey, you hug everybody you meet if you want to. And if you don't want to great, you know, and, uh, so context, it really is powerful. And I think that's why, uh, continuing to kind of shape culture to be loving and open and, um, available and ready to kindle more intimacy is important. You know, I grapple with that, with the balance with that, uh, concept that, you know, Brené Brown often talks about, which is vulnerability is not just spewing everything you think and feel to anybody. It's, uh, leaning into the relationships where there's trust and there is boundaries and you can be vulnerable in the context of a really supportive, safe environment. And that's healthy vulnerability. So, you know, playing with those two concepts in tandem, uh, you know, there probably always will be some level of discernment about how vulnerable we get with certain people and how open we are and how intimate we are. And that's okay. I think that's healthy and necessary. Um, but yeah, I mean, more contexts that assume open-hearted, just kindness. Uh, yeah, I think we would do a lot better off if we had more of those kinds of contexts in our daily lives. That's mm -hmm. awesome. Um, I have another question for you, which is, what question do you wish I had asked you that I haven't mm, yet? This has been such a juicy, awesome conversation. Um. 
Hmm. Well, we touched on a lot of themes around community and around openness and vulnerability and healing and um, passion and all of that. I think uh, for me, there's a lot of joy in thinking about community and those bigger networks of, you know, group dynamics and how those work. And I get a lot of joy and pleasure at talking about the more intimate kind of one-on-one relationships. So, um, you know, the only thing that comes to mind is what, how we make intimate committed relationships work is something that I'm really interested in. And, uh, to me, you know, the monogamous marriage model is shifting and changing and we're kind of um, allowing more room around that and uh, more and more people are experimenting with different ways of doing that. And yet to me, there's this outstanding question of um, learning to have more freedom perhaps and have more personal integrity. And perhaps, you know, those are byproducts of the desire to not put so much pressure on any one relationship, which I think is a very healthy idea. Um, whether you're, I'm not necessarily talking about having like an open marriage, for example. I mean, although that is something that a lot of people are experimenting with, but, um, even just believing that your life partner, um, should be a certain way versus, you know, meeting them for who they are and enjoying life together. Uh, you know, I I keep coming back to this question of, okay, so if we can continue to harbor these important and cultivate these important values around self-expression and freedom and um, intimacy with more and more people, uh, how do we also balance that with, with attachment, with healthy, grounded roots that allow us to um, have these longer-term relationships with multiple people that really feed our souls. And I think that uh, one concept I've been playing with is this, you know, around polyamory or open relationships that I think sometimes we swing too far in the other direction where people don't end up creating any kind of attachments or or deep bonds. And uh, I hope that if our culture continues to kind of play with these non-traditional relationships that we continue to value and, uh, learn about and foster, uh, deep commitment and what that can offer us in terms of security and self-expression and, uh, love is, is still really fascinating to me. How does that intersect with, uh, with your life? I mean, alternative relationships are, are fascinating to me and I guess we've never actually talked about whether, um, whether that is something that is a, a theoretical thing for you or whether you're actually um, exploring that Mm -hmm. in your own life? I definitely am exploring it in my own life. Uh, So I feel like I don't quite fit a term. I've never found a term yet that feels like it's my relationship. Uh, I don't identify with polyamorous uh, because fundamentally I still really want and value um, a home life where I have a partner who we're choosing to really focus on each other and, uh, do family together. And, um, to me, polyamorous is a little bit more focused on having multiple, very deep, uh, relationships and or commitments or partners. And, uh, 
I could see myself getting there. I just haven't yet. So more what I'm interested in and what we've explored in my current relationship is um, being open to relating around intimacy. So uh, certainly a lot of love. I feel like there's no barriers in this relationship around my ability to express affection and attachment with other people, um, you know, just in a loving, heart-open space. And then we also explore sexually. So we decided that we wanted the freedom and the the pleasure of, of having sex with other people together as a way of enhancing and, and adding to really more than anything, our sex life. And we fundamentally, everything starts with how's the health of our relationship? You know, are we secure? Are we happy? Are we thriving um, together and as individuals? And then we build on top of that. It just feels like added layers. So, you know, if we can add in, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, you can't build a skyscraper right, exactly. on sand, basically. So, right. So, you know, and so far in our relationship, we've had a lot of really um, just smooth riding. I mean, we're, we're really secure with each other. There's a really lovely attachment that's happened between Luke and I. And so we've added other people in and it's just added more love, more joy, um, more opportunities to play. And that just works really well for us. But we've tended to do it together. So we've uh, met up with a few couples and we've done a few things with other women. Um, I and buy and enjoy women. So that's been fun for me. Um, I have gone off actually by myself with another couple once that just kind of organically grew out of the conversation. And, um, so that brought up more questions for us of like, huh, okay, that wasn't in the original plan. And is that okay? And it was, so I went with it. And, uh, so it feels to me like we're kind of, our, our fundamentals are we're committed to each other. We're committed to communication and if it feels good, we go with it. And if it doesn't, we slow down and talk and, and pivot. Um, so that's been my life around this. Really fundamentally, anytime there's been some kind of hiccup or fear or uh, you know discomfort, as my partner and I have explored open relating, it comes back to self-love, <laughs> ironically. And um, usually when one of us can get deeper into relationship with ourselves and feel more and more secure with that relationship with ourselves, uh, it all opens up and, and flows easy again. So I only have one question left for this interview since we're sure. about to run out of time. Um, what is the one song that you can't not dance <laughs> you know, to? No, I knew you were going to ask me this, but I should have prepared. Um, you know, I think I might have on another day answered some kind of really fun, upbeat song, but I'm going to answer something slightly different, which is that I grew up uh, with Nora Jones albums on repeat <laughs> and I Wonderful. love her and my family loves her and she feels like home to me. So I put Nora Jones on sometimes when we're cooking in the kitchen and I will draw Luke into a little slow dance and it's very sweet and feels like home. So that's my answer today. Nora Jones, anything Nora Jones. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being really open and talking with me today. And I'm super excited about sharing this with our listeners um, thank you, Haya. Appreciate your time. For more information about the Human Awareness Institute or our workshops, visit our website at hi.org. That's H-A-I dot org. Thank you so much for listening to May I Have This Dance. It was a pleasure to have you with us. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.